Well, thank you for all of you for being with us and for those who joined us yesterday as we laid to rest our uh, special Father Seraphim. It was a beautiful day in one way, sad in another, as Father Kaz has pointed out, we welcomed the bishop, uh, the newly installed Bishop Byrne here in the Springfield Diocese of Massachusetts. And it was a time of um, uh, reflection and uh, thanksgiving for the life of Father Seraphim. So thank you to all of you who joined us. Now, the last words that Father Bob just read is about to repent. Repent. It's the message of the Gospels. It's the message of Fatima. It's the message going all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. Now, Brother Ben read us the account or part of the account of Noah's Ark, and few Images of the Bible stuck with us since we've been children, I think, than Noah's Ark. Perhaps maybe Jonah and the Whale, and that's coming up on Wednesday. <laughs> so uh, if you want to hear about Jonah and the Whale, please join me on Wednesday here as well. But Noah, this is very interesting. Now, in the Bible, and it wasn't so much this part that Brother Ben read, but in other parts leading up to the flood, it talks about God was angry. And God was mad. And we read other parts of the Bible where it says God was angry and then he repented of, of his anger. Let's talk about that for a minute. In the Bible, we treat God as a human in some sense, like a man, because we are human. And it helps us to better understand. But God cannot be moved by an emotional wave of regret. God can't change. And this is why it's dangerous to read the Bible in isolated, singular, biblical verses without understanding the whole context. God bless our non-Catholic brothers and sisters, but I get them all the time on those YouTube comments. Isolated um, Bible verses that, that if we don't take in the whole of a context can be taken out of context. All right, God does not change as man does. That says it in the Bible. Well, Father, there's other places where it says God repented. Well, Malachi 3, 6 says God does not change as man does. Then in Numbers 23, 19, it said God does not repent as man does. But there's other places where it says he did repent. What is up with this? Is it a contradiction? No, it's just the way we look at it, kind of anthropomorphizing our Lord. Do we how do we read this? Do we read the Bible? I've, I've asked this question before, but I think it's worth mentioning again. Do we as Catholics read the Bible as literally true? Do we read the Bible as literally true? And the answer is yes. Now go home tonight, you've heard me say, and cut off your right hand, right? Because that's what the Bible says to do if you're a sinner and we're all sinners. So we should go home and all cut off our right hand. No, of course not. The difference is Vatican II tells us, I think it's De Verbum, but Vatican II tells us that we read the Bible as literally true, but not as literalists. Now, what does that mean? That means that the message the author is trying to convey is literally true. If there's something in your life causing you to sin, you got to get rid of it. I've used the examples of, you know, maybe a relationship or even a computer in your own room privately. These are things that 
If they're causing us to sin, that's what Jesus meant, cut it off. But we don't read the Bible as literalists where we actually take a saw and cut off our right hand. So while it is true that God was not pleased, because it says he was not pleased, we can't read it as a literalist saying that he was super, super angry, stomping his fist, and then he said, you know what, I'm sorry, I repent of that. It's not how we read the Bible. That's as a literalist, a difference there. It's true that our sins are, are not pleasing to God, but not in the way that he changes his mind. God can't do that. The Bible puts the thoughts and actions of God in human terms so we can understand. So people who reject the Bible because of this aren't understanding the literary style. This is important. We put God, as I said, in anthropomorphic terms, with physical features even, so that we can help understand them. How about this? In Exodus, it says God has hands. In Hosea, it says God has arms. In Exodus, again, it says God has feet. In Daniel, it says God has white hair. <laughs> It's kind of the image you see above us here at the shrine. And in Psalm 27, it talks about God's face. Now, does God literally have hands, arms, feet, white hair, and a face? No, not in the spiritual sense. Now, Jesus was incarnate. Yes, and he took on hands and arms and feet. But God, as it is here in the Old Testament, these are ways just to help us understand him, literal devices. So when it said that God was upset, and brought a flood, and um, they recede. What is the message here? Is it showing God repents? No, it's showing that God is forgiving because he's bringing a new creation. This actually cleanses the old world of what? Why did God have the flood? It cleansed the old world of the sin and the blood stain and the violence, starting with Cain. If you heard my homily, uh, last week, I think it was, or the week before, I talked about Cain killing Abel, and it was that bloodstain of Cain killing Abel that now infected the earth. It's one of the sins that cry out to heaven for vengeance. Now, we're going to talk about the meaning of, the, of Noah here in a second. So is Noah literally true? But to understand it, we have to see the parallel to the creation story. They're both in Genesis. Let's look at this. In creation, as well as now after Noah, the land forms again out of water. Noah and his family are blessed, just like it was earlier in Genesis. They were made fruitful and told to multiply. That's just what Adam and Eve were told. Now, what about Adam and Eve? They were given dominion over the animals. Now, Brother Ben just read again about the animals. Man is given dominion over the animals. This is reaffirmed. Into your hand they will be delivered. Interesting. Then a food supply is given and everything is food for you. I give you everything. So what's going on here? Yeah, God is, the waters have receded and God is bringing about a new creation. That's the message we should know. Now, you may not have caught this, but did you catch what Brother Ben read about the rainbow? When I bring clouds over the earth, this is what Brother Ben read in the first reading. 
and the bow appears in the clouds. What's he talking about? The rainbow. I will recall the covenant I have made between you and all living beings. All right, the rainbow. Let's talk about this for a minute. Now, secular society has in a way kind of hijacked this symbol of the covenant of God and twisted its meaning completely around. June is now called all over the world Pride Month and the acts of homosexuality are celebrated with a rainbow as the symbol. Well, the thing is, is one of the things that is taught, taught about this symbol is that inclusivity, but yet people who pose these acts, not the people, remember, we love the people, we welcome the people, we include the people. The church does, does not condone acts that are told by us, by our Lord, are improper. But people who oppose these acts on moral grounds are subject to lawsuits, fines, and hate crimes. But remember, the church is not just saying those acts are wrong. Any act outside of marriage, be it homosexual or heterosexual, unchaste in any way with yourself or another, is told to us by the church is wrong. Church is not singling out that particular sexual sin as being the only wrong one. Any relation outside of marriage. Well, Father, but now they're married. No, the marriage has been defined by the churches between a man and a woman. So in marriage, we have one of God's rules that gives us to live a happy life. So this chastity must be lived inside marriage and out. The church tells me, as a priest, I'm not to have sexual relations. Does that mean the church is anti-priest? Does that mean the church hates priests? Does that mean the church is inclusive of, or not inclusive of priests? Well, that would be crazy. No, the church is just saying that your call to life, your call in your state of life is to be chaste, and in the case of the priest, a celibate. And so that's the meaning here. So all I want to say about that is this is the first, the rainbow was first a sign of the covenant after Noah. It was given by God and he hung it up in the sky. This is Genesis 9:13. I set my bow in the clouds to serve as a covenant. What does that mean? What does God mean? I set my bow in the clouds. Okay. The church fathers tell us that a bow is a symbol of a hunter. And God, in one sense, had a bow, and he fired the arrows down onto earth because of its sinfulness. And those arrows were in the form of lightning bolts or floods or rains. And now our Lord is saying, I'm hanging that bow up in the clouds. I will not do this again. I will not flood the earth again to destroy the life. So the symbol of a bow is like a hunter with a bow and arrow. So the hunter has the bow and arrow to shoot the arrows to kill. God is saying, no, I'm hanging that bow in the clouds. And that's the symbol of a rainbow. Its original intent and its only intent is to be that covenant with God, not to be turned into something else. 
And so this beautiful message is one that God gives us, this sign of the covenant after Noah. It's beautiful. All right, so what is God doing then? He hangs the bow in the sky and he's bringing a greater good. What greater good is God bringing? He's bringing a greater good from the fall of mankind. And out of this evil, as the flood came, God was ready to bring a greater good. What? What was the greater good? Well, the flood foreshadows baptism and the cleansing of sin. The ark, what is that a figure of? The church. You've always heard me point out our shrine right here looks like an ark. It's, it's round like the ark. It's elongated like an ark. The ark is a figure of the one church and the baptism of the world, which purified the world from sin. It's very powerful. The family of Noah is saved by water and wood. Wow. What do you mean, Father? Yes. In the same way, we are saved by water, baptism, and we are saved by wood, the cross. So we are modern-day families of Noah. Just as every kind of animal was in the ark, Believers from all nations are in the church. This is our ark. This is important. Very, very important. Now, it rained for 40 days. Well, we know the symbolism there. It's a symbolic period. Here now in Lent, we will do that period of, of fasting and, and testing like our Lord did. That is the connection with reading today in what Father Bob read of the temptation of our Lord in the desert. And the first, uh, or the preface is proper, talking about Jesus being tempted his 40 days in the desert. Like the Jews in the desert, they wandered 40 years as they were looking for the promised land. Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days. Then he fasted after the golden calf for 40 days. Christ was in the desert for 40 days. And our pilgrimage on earth is similar to this. All right. So to finish, is Noah true? Is the story of Noah's ark, did it really happen? All right. Yes. Noah is based on a very true event. In fact, archaeologists have found evidence of great floods. And you know the, the movie Titanic? It was produced by a man named Robert Ballard. He found the Titanic and he actually discovered a flooded civilization, a living flooding or a living civilization that was flooded in the Black Sea near Turkey. This is right where we think the flood would have been. He found that the salty Black Sea was once fresh water and that it was suddenly and instantly flooded with became fresh water all of a sudden. Now, the date is around 5,000 BC. That's exactly around the time of Noah. And there were towns that disappeared immediately to a sudden flood. So the archaeologists have found evidence of this. Now, this does not mean, however, that every single detail of the story of Noah's Ark is factual. It's true, 
but maybe not all the details are factual. I'm going to explain that. Biblical authors are under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but they're not robots. How do you read the Bible? Is the Bible literally true? Well, you have to understand that the author is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he still is a human author, and he's allowed to use figurative language. What do I mean by that? All right. It is possible. Now listen to this. For something to be truthful, but not necessarily factual. Father, you sound like a lawyer in court trying to get your client out of a mess. <laughs> All right. Scripture says God is a rock. Psalm 18, 2. So are we to believe that God is actually a dirt clod that hardened over millions of years and became a rock? No, this is figurative language. It's true, but the fact is God is not a rock. Figurative language says he's like a rock. He is strong, steadfast, solid, and can be leaned on. You see, the church insists that the Bible is inspired and inerrant, and it teaches what it teaches is the truth. There is, what's the truth in Noah's Ark? All right, there was a flood. A civilization had turned sinful. And the main message is there is safety in that ark. No one can be saved who is outside of it. In some sense, united to the church, even if we're not physically a pygmy in the rainforest, is not physically inside the four walls of the Catholic Church. To be saved, you have to be united to it in some way, be it as something as being a registered member all the way to being a pygmy in the rainforest through the natural law. This is very important. St. Cyprian said, quote, no one can have God for his father who is not the church for his mother. If no one could escape the deluge outside the ark, no one outside the church will escape its deluge. Just meaning that we have to be united in some way to that church. If we are born and baptized Catholics, that means, yes, being here practicing our faith or at home as you are, if it means a pygmy in the rainforest, it may not necessarily, they'll be judged being registered members of the Catholic Church if they've never been told or taught or evangelized. But God will judge them based on the natural law, which is the basis of our Catholic faith. So there is a uniting to that. The meaning of Noah's Ark is true, but parts of the text can be symbolic. How do we know this? Turn to the Catechism. This isn't me. This isn't my opinion. This is the Catechism. 337. God himself created the visible world in all its richness, diversity, and order. Scripture presents the work of the creator symbolically. Now, as a succession, for instance, of six days of divine work concluded by rest on the seventh day. The bottom line there is what I talked about last week. 
We are free to believe that God did create the world literally or literalistically in six days, 24-hour periods. We are totally allowed to believe that. But the church in the catechism is saying symbolically could be yam in the Hebrew means a period of time. It could be six consecutive periods of time that are longer than 24 hours. The point is, and I don't mean this the wrong way, it doesn't matter how long it was, as long as we know God is our creator. He is our father, and he did it in some way, whether it was 24 hours or 24 million years. That part isn't what should keep you from your faith. What needs to bring you to your faith is the fact that God is creator and he lives amongst us. You know, the whole message of Noah to many is one of punishment and pointing the finger. But I think I'd like to end with this. God doesn't want to punish mankind. I get comments a lot on, on things saying, the wrath of God is upon us and he's, he's ready to strike us all. Yes, we have to be weary of that. But you know what Jesus told St. Faustina? He says, I don't want to punish aching mankind. I want to heal it. I want to heal aching mankind, not punish. All we have to do is turn to his mercy. Now is the time of mercy. So are you afraid of the wrath of God? In some way we should be. But not to see God as an ogre or some vindictive monster. God is a loving father. And what does a loving father do when his child willingly, willfully disobeys? He has to lovingly discipline. Not out of hate, not because God wants to punish. No father wants to spank his child. A father has to do loving discipline to instill a loving lesson in the child. That's what God says. He says, please turn to my mercy now. You must pass through the doors of my mercy or later you'll have to pass through the doors of my justice. That's why he says, Divine mercy is mankind's last hope of salvation. That's why he says, now is the time of mercy. But woe to those who miss it, because later I will come as the just judge. So Noah is not null and void by God's mercy. The lesson rings true even today. Let us just heed those words of Jesus to St. Faustina that says, turn now to my mercy while there is still time. God bless all of you because that's what you have done or you wouldn't be here. When Jesus says, now is the time of mercy, come now to it. Don't wait till I have to come as the just judge because then it'll be too late. This is the connection with Noah. Don't be caught outside the ark. Get inside that ark, which is the church, which brings us salvation. The water of baptism, the sacrament, the wood of the cross, the redemption. And now 
we see God's mercy. So God bless all of you for being part of our Marian family that is trying so hard to spread this message of mercy around the world. Remember, Jesus says, I don't want to punish aching mankind. I want to heal it. And how he heals is through mercy. So let us turn with trust to God's mercy. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.